This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Good morning, everyone. This is October 31st, which is known as Halloween, but for the Christian community, we see it as harvest. And I'm going to begin, continue on with Chapter 2, The Basic Tools of a Good Translation. Before we start, I want to um, start with a prayer. Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. I pray that the teachings will be received and people will learn how to start seeking you for themselves alongside with the Holy Spirit that you welcome him to learn quickly and receive quick understanding of how to translate the word of God rightfully so. And so the last time I left off, I spoke about the, um, the different words, the different way you spoke things. Basically, it was a science. The science of translation is what I spoke about. So now I'm going to um, continue on with the questions of language. The next two kinds of choices is verbal and grammatical. Brings us to the actual science of translation. The problem has to do with the transferring of words and ideas from one language to another to understand what various theories underlie. Our modern translation, you will need to become acquainted with the following technical terms. And again, for you, some of you who may just be listening to the first, for the first time, I am reading from the book on, titled How to Read the Bible and All It's Worth by Barton D. Fee and Douglas Stewart. Now, the first language that they talk about is the original language. The language that one is translating from, in our case, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. Next, receptor language. The language that one is translating into, in our case, English. And then we talk about the historical distance. How to, to do with difference that exists between the original language and the receptor language. 
both in matters of words, grammar, and idiom, as well as in matters of culture and history. And I think that, to me, that is one of the major, major, major key functions in understanding biblical text, because we're dealing with a historical distance, and that requires so much understanding from the original language, the receptor language, you know, matters of grammar and idiom, um, in order to be able to translate the Bible and understand the Bible in all its fullness. Let me continue. Then we're dealing with the formal equivalence, the attempt to keep a, a, as close to the form of the Hebrew or Greek, both words and grammar, as can be consistently put. I'm sorry, can be conveniently put into understandable English. Now, what did they say? They talked about the form, trying to keep it as close to the Hebrew and the Greek. Again, because we know that certain words mean different things in different cultures. The closer one moves towards a theory of translation, often described as literal translations based on formal equivalence, will keep historical distance intact at all points. Then we, we talk about the functional equivalence, the attempt to keep the meaning of the, of the Hebrew or Greek, but to put their words and idiom into what would be the normal way of saying the same thing in English. The more, I'm sorry, the more one is willing to forego formal equivalence for functional equivalence, the closer one moves towards a theory of translation frequently described as dynamic equivalence. Such translations keep historical distance on all historical and factual matters, but updates matters of language, grammar, and style, which this is a lot of, of the argument and the different translations um, when we're dealing with understanding what's the true word, what's the true word, or that the translation has been taken totally out of content. And so what we're seeing is to be able to read the word of God and understand it in its full fertility. It's not just taking that Bible and reading one Bible. As, we, as I discussed in earlier chapters, that you need more than one um, translation with you, concordances, Bibles, uh, a, a biblical dictionary, all these things to successfully being able to read and divine the word of God. but also we can never, ever leave out the Holy Spirit. Never. Now I'm going to talk about the free translation. The free translation is the attempt to translate the idea from one language to another with less concern about using the exact words of the original. A free translation, sometimes also called as a paraphrase, tries to eliminate as much of the historical distance as possible and still be faithful to the original text. So we also see this when we, so there is a basis, the Hebrew or, or the Greek, and we are translating, they're taking that and translating it in, in into the, the different languages that we speak, which is called free translation. Theory of translation has basically to do with whether one puts primary emphasis on formal or on functional equivalencies. That is the degree to which one is willing to go in order to bring to bridge the gap between the two languages, either in use of words and grammar or in bridging the historical distance by offering a modern equivalence. For example, should lamp 
be translated as flashlight or torch in cultures where these service where these serve the purpose of lamp once did or should one translate it lamp and let readers bridge the gap for themselves should holy kiss be translated the handshake of christian's love in cultures where public kissing is offensive should coals of fire become burning embers slash coals since this is more normal english should endurance of hope which is an example from first thessalonians 1 3 a formal equivalence that is almost meaningless in english be rendered your your endurance inspired by hope which is what paul greek actually means so here we go which is a big argument in the body of christ about words and so the authors feed and steward are giving is giving a breakdown of how this looks and why it's taking place and i'm going to go over the steps again original language receptor language historical distance formal equivalence functional equivalence free translation and theory of translation moving on translators are not always consistent but one of these theories will govern the translators translators based approach to their task at times the free or literal translation can be excessive so much that clarence jordan in his cotton patch version translation translated paul's letter to romans as to washington while robert young in a literal translation published in 1862 transformed first corinthians 1 into this impossible english whoredom is actually heard of among you and such whoredom as is not even named among the nations as that as that one hat the life of the father the several translations of the whole bible that are currently easily accessible may be placed on a formal or functional equivalence and historically distant scale in a somewhat arbitrary arbitrary way as shown on the following graphics in the, in, in the book they have a graphic um, breaking it down and they have the formal equivalence of the literature goes from um, the King James Version to the NASB and the functional equivalence um, it goes from the RSV to the NIV then the NAB then the GMB and then the JB and then the free um, translation goes from goes to from the NEB to the LB and then secondly it shows that the new King new King James version goes from the goes to the NASU and then the functional equivalence dynamic 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 goes from the NRSV to the TNIV then the NJB which then goes to the ESV and all of these acronyms are dealing with the different bibles and then you have the freelance it goes from the REB to the NLT so um what they're saying is uh, line line one represents the original translation, and then line two, there are various reverse revisions. Note that in the case of the RSV, both the NRSV and the ESV moved move more towards the middle. 
as does the TNIV, while the NJB and the REB and the NLT, the revision of the Living Bible, also have moved more towards the middle from their original, from their originals. So this part is showing how the text was taken from the um, original translators and how it was broken down into the different into the different um, versions of the Bible. Moving on. Our view is that the best theory of translation is the one that remains as faithful as possible to both the original and the receptor languages. But when but that when something has to give, it should be in favor of the receptor language without losing the meaning of the original <coughs> language. Excuse me. <clears throat> of course, since the very reason for translation is to make these ancient texts accessible to the English-speaking person who does not know the original language. But note well, if the best translator, trans, I'm sorry, trans, yeah, transitional theory is functional equivalence, a translation that appears to formal equivalence is often helpful as a second source. It can give you some confidence as to what the Hebrew or the Greek actually looks like. A free translation also can be helpful to stimulate your thinking about the possible meaning of a text. But the basic translation for reading and studying should be something in the TNIV slash the NIV or the NRSV range. So what they're telling us that from the Hebrew or the Greek that in order for, for English speaking people that the best translations would be to take from these particular Bibles. And I, I'll say it again, the TNIV, which is the, um, <clears throat> the new transitional NIV, then the NIV, and then the NRSV. The NRSV is actually, let me go through the book. It's the new revised standard version of 1991. So the problem with the formal equivalence translation is that it keeps distance at the wrong phases in language and grammar. Thus, the translator often renders the Greek or Hebrew into English. <clears throat> so they're telling this is a key point. They're saying that the Greek or the Hebrew language is then transferred into the English language, but it is being taken from the original text itself, the original wording. That is otherwise never written or spoken that that way. It is like translation, maison, blanc, blanc, blanc. I'm sorry, blanche. Maison blanche from French to English as housewife. For example, no native English speaking person would ever have said coals of fire. This is from Romans 12, chapter 20 of the King James Version, that it that is a literal rendering of the Greek construction, but what it means in English is burning coals, which is the TNIV. Progressive protects more than just your home and car. You could save when you bundle your motorcycles, ATVs, boats, and RVs. Doesn't that sound good? Like the sound of your boat cruising along the intercoastal. And there's the sound of the prop hitting a really big rock. And now the sound of waves, because the engine stopped. 
But you know what does sound good? You're covered with Progressive. So bundle all your vehicles and home in one place and save with the multi-policy discount. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's actually... Today's new international version. And then, therefore, rightly translates 10,000 <clears throat> talents as 10,000 bags of gold and a hundred denaro, denarii as a hundred silver coin. And then example explain, explains the words in a footnote. On the other hand, when a precise amount is in view or the coin itself is being spoken out, most contemporary formal and functional equivalency translations have moved forward, transliterated, transliterating Daenerys, but are still ambivalent about the talent. We would argue that either equivalent or transliteration with marginal notes are a good procedure with most weights and measurements. However, the use of equivalence is surely to be preferred in passages like Isaiah 5.10 and the Matthew parable note above. Note, for example, how much more meaningful, though with some literal, um, liberties as to precise, the GNB is actually the Good News Bible, formerly uh, Formerly today's English version of 1976 renders the purposeful contrast in Isaiah 5:10 than does the New King James version or the NASU, which is the updated New American Standard Bible. Isaiah 5:10, for example, or for the New King James version, for ten acres of vineyard shall ye one bathe. Bath and a homer of seed shall yield one Ephraim. The translation of the GNB, which is the Good News Bible, formerly today is the English version of 1976, and it says, The grapevines growing on five acres of land will yield only five gallons of wine. Ten bushels of seed will produce only one bushel of grain. So euphemism. Almost all languages have euphemism for matters of sex and toilet. A translator has one of three choices in such matters. One, translate literally, but perhaps leave an English-speaking reader bewildered or guessing. Two, translate the formal equivalents, but perhaps offend or shock the reader. Or three, translate with functional equivalent euphemism. And this is so important, guys. How many times in the body of Christ we have heard the arguments about translation? And many, many of the ministers will say, 
<clears throat> the King James Version is the only version, the only way. But as we get educated from scholars, and we have, again, don't ever, even in these podcasts when I'm bringing forth the teaching, I always have the Holy Spirit alongside you to give you more insight. Because with all these different translations that are being um, are being pulled from the original, we still have to hold it, have the Holy Spirit to bring, bring clarity to us as to what is really or what the contact was really um, trying to say at that time. But this is very important, and I'm going to read this again. Euphemism. Almost all languages have euphemism for matters of sex and toilet. A translator has one of three choices in which matters. One, to translate literally, but perhaps leave an English-speaking reader bewildered or guessing. Two, translate the former equivalent, but perhaps offend or shock the reader. Or three, translate with functional equivalent, equivalent euphemism. Option three is probably the best if there is an appropriate euphemism. Otherwise, it is better to go with option two especially for matters that generally no longer require euphorism in English. Thus, to have Rachel say, I am having my monthly period, Genesis 31-35, the, GN, the GNB, which is the Good News Bible, cliff note from the New International Version, slash the Today, the Today New International Version, is to be preferred to the literal. The matter of woman, women is upon me. The NASU, which is give me a minute because I got to find all these translations for you guys. The NASU is the updated New American Standard Bible. So, um. And the cliff notes from the King James Version and the RSV, which is the Revised Standard Version of 1952. For the same idiom in Genesis 18.11, the GND, which I've given you guys earlier, what that is, is consistent. Sarah had stopped having her monthly period, while the TNIV is much freer. freer. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Similarly, he folk forced her and laid with her, 2 Samuel 13, 14 of the King James Version, becomes simply he raped her in the NIV slash the TNIV and the GNV. So you see, they're giving scriptures, and a lot of these scriptures they're giving is familiarity because we've heard it along the way in our Christian walk, when we've read the Bible, we've heard the minister on the pulpit preaching it. So they are, they're giving examples on, it's the same meaning, but it's the translation for which it's coming from. Moving on. There can be dangers in this. However, especially when translators themselves miss the meaning of the idism, as can be seen in the NIV, the GNB and the LB translation, and the LB is the living the, the living Bible. So they said that there can be dangers 
in this. However, especially when translators themselves miss the meaning of the idism, as can be seen in the New International Bible, the GNB, and the LB translation of 1 Corinthians 7.1. It is good for a man not to marry, the idism, to touch a woman in every other case is antiqu antiquated, means to have sexual intercourse with a woman and never means anything closer to, to marriage, to marry. Here the NAB has found an equivalent euphemism. A man is better off having no relations with a woman, but this has the possibility of being misunderstood or misconstrued to mean no relationship whatsoever, including friendly ones. So the TNIV has eliminated the euphemism altogether. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Number three, vocabulary. When most people think of translation, this is the area they usually have in mind. It seems like such a simple task. Find the English word that means the same as the Hebrew or Greek word, but finding precisely the right word is what makes translation so difficult. Part of the difficulty is not only in the choosing of an appropriate English word, but also in the choosing of a word that will not already be filled with connotations that are foreign to the original language. The problem is further complicated by the fact that some Hebrew or Greek words have range of meaning different from anything in English. In addition, some words can be can have several shades of meaning, as well as two or more, considerably different meanings, and a deliberate play on words is usually impossible to translate from one language to another. We have already noted how various translations have chosen to interrupt version in 1 Corinthians 7.36. In chapter 1, we also note the difficulties in rendering Paul's use of the word steric, which is the flex, fet flesh, and I may be saying it wrong, but it's spelled S-A-R-X. In most cases, most uh, almost anything is better than the literal flesh. The TNIV handles this word especially well. Sinful nature. When Paul is contrasting flesh and spirit, human nature in Romans 1.3, where it refers to Jesus, devic, devic, descent, from a worldly point of view. And 2 Corinthians 5.16, note, above, cliff note, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1.26. By human standards, and body when it means that, as in Colossians 1.22. This kind of things can be illustrated many times over, and is one of the reasons why a translation by functional equivalence is much to be preferred to a more literal translation. Number four, word plays. Word plays tend to, to abound in most languages, but they are all, they are all, well, I'm sorry, excuse me but they are always unique to the original language and can, can almost never be translated into a receptor language. The same is true with word plays in the Bible, which abound in poetry of the Old Testament and can be found throughout the New Testament as well. 
So what does the translator do? So what does the translator do when they're taking the translation from the original text, which is the Hebrew and, and, and Greek? And they're showing that even really, to be honest, it seems like throughout all the texts and Bibles that we have, that they can't exactly pinpoint the, the message from the original translator because of the, of the language barrier. Excuse me. Because of the language barrier. And again, this is why we have the different books that I've, we've talked about, I've talked about in the, the other chapters. Again, we must have the Holy Spirit alongside of us. Take, for example, the play on the sound for the word summer. And in Amos chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, where even though the Hebrew consonant are keys and key respectively, the two words themselves were pronounced virtually alike in Amos' day. Translation that in that tend toward formal equivalent translate in a straightforward manner. The NRSV, which I said the NRSV represents what Bible? The NRSV is the new revised. Let me see, I'm sorry. New Revised Standard Version. And um, it says, God said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer, keys, fruits. Then the Lord said to me, the end key has come upon my people Israel. Translations that move towards functional equivalence. Try to work with the, wor the word play even when doing so, may alter the meaning somewhat. Now, the, today, the, the today's new international version, it says, what do you see, And Amos? God asked, a basket of ripe kings, fruits, fruit. I answered, then the Lord said to me, the time is, is ripe, keys, for my people, Israel. An example of the same Difficulties can be found in some instances of Paul's use of the word flesh. Note, above and in the previous chapter, page 19, this happens especially in Galatians 3.3, where Paul says in the NAUS, which is the New American Standard Bible, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Lying behind this Rhetoric is the is the issue of Gentile believers yielding to Jewish Christian pressure to submit to circumcision of the flesh. But it is clear from the full argument of Galatians that Paul here means more than just circumcision when referring to by the flesh in Galatians by the flesh in Galatians five. The flesh has to go with living in a self-centered, ungodly way as opposed to living by the Spirit. So, what does the functional equivalence translator do in 3.3? The new, the, the new international version and the today international version renders it by human effort. Cliff note, NLT. 
which is the New Living Translation, and the GNB, which is the Good News Bible, by the, your own power, but in doing so, they must lose the, the spirit slash flesh contrast that it picked up again in chapter 428 and chapter 5, um, verses 13 to 26. Both ways of translating are right, of course, in keeping with the respective theories of translation. But in both cases, something is lost simply because such wordplay cannot be made in English. And this is yet another reason why you should learn to use more than one translation on a regular basis. So the author's argument here, again, I am not, this is not um, my reading. This is not my research. But based on the information, I think this is a good book that you can use because they're not just, they're not being biased. They're showing you all avenues, all angles, having you to understand how the Bible was written and telling you why you need to choose uh, more than one translation because of the word. The word is the communication. And if that's broken in the body of Christ, then that's why you have, that's why you get all of these different religions and you have these different translations of what they believe and don't believe. And you need to have a sound doctrine, a sound foundation to be able to speak your cause. And I'll go on to say the book that I'm reading from is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon D. B. and Douglas Stewart. And they basically said in this chapter, they broke, they gave examples of different translations that we have heard throughout our Christian lives and why it's so important to have more than one um, translation when you're reading the Word of God. More than one. Well, let's see. Um, and, 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 you know, they, they, they stated their argument, and they've proven their argument as to why a person needs to have more than one translation on a regular basis when reading the Word of God. Now we get to grammar and syntax. Even though most Indo-European languages have a great many similarities, each language has its own preferred structure as to how words and ideas are related to each other in sentences. It is at that, these points, especially, especially when translations by functional equivalence is to be preferred. A formal equivalent translation tends to abuse or override the originary structure, ordinary structure, structures of the receptor language by directly transferring in, into it the syntax and grammar of the original language. Such direct transfers are often possible in the receptor language, but they are seldom preferable. For hundreds of examples, we choose two as illustration, one from the Greek and one from the Hebrew. One of the characteristics of the Greek is its fineness, found, foundness for what are known as genitives. Constructions. 
Gen I'm sorry, genuitive. Genuitive. Construction. The genuitive is the original case of possession, as in my book. Such a true positive, positive can also can also put only very awkwardly, can only be awkwardly. I'm sorry. The genuitive is the ordinary case of possession, as in my book. Not my book, but the author's book. Such a true possessive can also but only very awkwardly be rendered the book of me. However, other possessives in English, such as God's grace, do not do not so much mean, for example, that God owns the grace as that he gives it or that it comes from him. Such non-true possessives can always be translated into the English as the grace of God. The Greek language has a great profusion of these latter kinds of genitives, which are used, for example, as descriptive adjectives to express source to connote. Special relationships between two nouns, etc., etc. A literal translation also invariably transfers these into English with an of phrase but frequently with strange results, such as the coal of fire, note above are the word of, it, of his power, Hebrew chapter, Hebrew verses 1 through 3 of the New King James Version. Both of these are clearly adjectives or descriptive um, genitives, which in the New NIV and the Today New international version endures inspired by hope and joy given by the holy spirit these are not only to be preferred they are in fact more accurate because they give a genuine english equivalence rather than a literal greek way of expressing things that in english would be nearly meaningless interesting enough in one of the few places where the King James Version, version followed by the RSV, but not by the NASU, offers something of an equivalent. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. The translators miss the meaning of the genitive altogether. Apparently, they were led astray by the word fellow workers and thus translated. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. But in Paul's sentence, each occurred occurrence of God is clearly a possessive genitive with an emphasis on both we, Paul and Apollos, and you, the church, at God's field and building. As belonging to him, this is correctly translated in the um, today New International Version. As for we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul point is made even more clearly in the NAB, and the NAB is called the New American Bible.
hold up, I just lost my spot, but okay. And the new American Bible. We are God's co-workers while you are his cultivation, his building. Thousands of times in the Old Testament, the King James Version translators wouldly follow the Hebrew word ordered in a way that doesn't produce normal idiomatic English. Amen to that. One common example is how often verses, which each verse a paragraph begin with the word and. For example, in Genesis 1, every verse without exception begins with and, a total of 30 times. Even the New King James Version translators have diff had difficulties with the um, idiomatic. None nonetheless, they are still rendered. They still rendered the Hebrew and in almost every case using and, then so, etc., etc. Now compare the New International Version to the TNIV. It reduces the number of occurrences of and to 11, while at the, time, at the same time improve, improving the flow of the language so that it sounds more natural to the ear. The NIV and the TNIV translators produce an improved translation by taking seriously the fact that the vast majority of prose sentences in the Old Testament Hebrew begin with one of the two Hebrew forms for the word and. The word for and appears even when there is absolutely nothing proceeding to which the census logically connects. In fact, six books of the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, Ezra, Ruth, and Esther begin in Hebrew with the words and, though these obviously do not follow anything. Accordingly, it is now recognized by Hebrew grammarians that and at the beginning of a sentence is virtually the equivalent of the use of capitalization at the beginning of English sentences. This does not mean that the Hebrew and should never be translated by the English. And it, is simply mean, and it simply means that and is only sometimes and certainly not a majority of the time. The best translation in English is English. I'm sorry. The best translation is English. The simple English sentence beginning with a capital letter will do nicely in most cases. I'm going to read this last sentence and then I'm going to stop and then We'll move forward um, by finishing this chapter next month. Another example is the King James Version, and it came to pass, which is frequently retained in the NKJV, the New King James Version, even though this is never used in normal English anymore. Indeed, it was rare even in the 17th century when the, K, when the King James Version was, was undertaken, because this Hebrew narrative verb formed was followed literally and wittily the resulting translation and came to pass, occupied a prominent position in the Old Testament style, but nowhere else in English speech. speech. We once heard a sermon on the concept that all things are temporary and shall eventually pass away. Cliff Note, 1 
Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8-10, based on the frequency of the clause, and it came to pass, which the preacher misunderstood to mean, and it came in order to pass away. In fact, the New, the New International Version and the TNIV translators rightly do not give expression to the Hebrew clause as such judicially rendering. Hebrew into English requires an equivalent meaning, not an equivalent word or clause pattern. And I'm going to end this by saying I hope that um, this section is really helping you to understand that we as Christians, we truly, really, really need to study the word of God and we need to rightly divine the word of God for ourselves and not depending and relying on a man or woman of God. Because the Bible did say, a time will come when man will not teach you, but my spirit will teach you. And I will leave that note um, until the next time we move forward and understanding how to read the word of God and all it's worth by the author's fee and steward. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.